0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Glad to be with you as we celebrate revival and the wonderful ways that God is working a revival in our lives and a revival in this church, a revival across the country, really, and certainly in the world. God's doing amazing things, and I know you want to be a part of that just like I want to be a part of that. I'm very excited about the revival that's taken shape. You know, several years ago, I learned this uh, amazing lesson as a child. I'm grateful that I learned it as a child because it's paid great dividends in my own personal life, and, and it's helped me to understand something about generosity throughout my life as well. Many of you, I know, already know this lesson. It started when I was around nine years old. I think I was in the third grade, and I watched the Jerry Lewis Telethon. Do you remember Jerry Lewis Telethon? Yeah, Jerry Lewis, great. And, and I'm old enough, like, you know, one or two of us in the room are old enough to remember his contemporaries, right, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and all those other folks, and and every year I would watch that, and I got, I got a kick out of it because I got to see all these uh, singers and actors and all that kind of stuff. And then I also got to see, as you well remember, when they would cut to the local stations, and you'd see some people either you knew or at least had a sense of because they were local, and they were in Dallas or Fort Worth or Hearst or Irving or wherever, right? And so uh, I remember starting to watch that, and when I was nine years old, I realized I wanted to be a part of that. I, I wanted to contribute to that, make a difference with that, and, and I was learning all about muscular dystrophy as well, right, and the education that they provided. And so when I turned nine, I, ca- I, I put together a carnival. I thought if I have a carnival, I can raise money, and so I'll, have, I'll sell snacks We'll have games, ring toss, beanbag toss, all that kind of stuff. We were even so falutin and highfalutin, we had rides at our carnival. I mean, I pulled people in wagons at our carnival, and we had a ride there together, right? And so a lot of hard work, and we put all kinds of stuff together. And just to prove to you that I once had hair, here's a picture of me when I was at the carnival. That's me <laughs> with that long brown hair, right? So I lost that about age 12, but nonetheless... I wanted you to know I had hair. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, part of what I learned was this, because every year I did this for the next three years, or, or for three years total. And every year we'd raise a whopping, I don't know, 25, 30 bucks. And I would send that in to the Jerry Lewis Telethon. And here's the life lesson that I learned. No matter how small, no matter how big, every contribution matters. Because you know what, Jerry Lewis' telethon, they sent me a thank you note. They sent an acknowledgement. And it helped me as a young child realize that no matter how small and seemingly insignificant my contribution was, it made a difference. And I, I, I learned that lesson in such a way that it reminded me every time I was asked to make a difference. Every time I was asked to contribute, every time someone wanted me to be a part of something and I believed in that mission and I wanted to contribute to that mission, I knew that whether I gave $5 or $5,000, it was going to make a difference. It was going to have impact and it was going to help folks know that something and someone cared. Every contribution, no matter how small or how large, Makes a difference. That's what I loved about the the ministry banners you just saw, right? Those ministry banners are from all sorts of ministries, some of whom have two or three people leading them, some of whom have hundreds of people helping and participating. All of them started with somebody's dream or passion or desire to serve, and they made a difference. See, that's what revival is about. Revival is all about the way we can make a difference as we continue the revival that God started 40 years ago when God planted this church. And for the next 40 and even 80 and 120 years beyond us, we are in revival to make sure that God's Holy Spirit and God's power is going to continue to work and make a difference in this region and in the world because we know that no matter how small or how large our contribution of time or energy, talent or skill, or yes, even dollars, will have an impact. And revival is all about the way in which that is true. It's also biblical. I mean, there are actually several stories that help us identify this, but uh, one story in particular that I happen to love is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, Jesus had lots and lots of miracles, all of them recorded in the Gospels, but only one miracle is recorded in all four Gospels. That's this miracle, when Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And the Gospel of John has, I believe, probably the best rendering of that, uh, uh, that miracle because in that rendering in John's Gospel, we see an amazing understanding of how every contribution makes a difference. If you brought your Bibles, whether on your phone or in your hand, I want to encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 6, where we hear this understanding of the feeding of the 5,000. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And many of you know, just a few short weeks ago, I and about uh, 40 of our church members were uh, at the Sea of Tiberias. We were on that sea. We got to uh, celebrate communion. We got to see where Jesus taught from. We got to hear, in many ways, Jesus' words as he's in that region of Galilee and in the Ti- Sea of Tiberias. It's a powerful image. It's a wonderful way to see, and I encourage you someday in the future to participate in that. So he's on the Sea of Galilee, A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled the 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Isn't that a great story? I love the way Jesus feeds people. I love the way he provides for people's needs, and I love the way he miraculously turns something so seemingly insignificant as five barley loaves and two fish into something amazing that can feed even 5,000 men and the rest of the crowd. And I love the way Jesus enters into the whole scenario because, you know, Jesus always knows what he's going to do, right? And so when he asks Philip the question, hey, how are we going to have enough to buy all this bread, he already knew what he was going to do. He already knew what needed to take shape, but he just wanted to see if the disciples knew, right? He wanted to see if these guys who he'd been hanging around with and teaching and leading into the faith and helping to lead other people in the faith, if they really got what it was that he was all about, if they really recognized how it is that Jesus actually works and what the miraculous kinds of things that Jesus could do. So he asked Philip, hey, how do you think we're going to make this work? And Philip answered from right here, hey, we couldn't work enough. We, we, we couldn't work six months and, and earn all this. It won't work. And I wonder sometimes if we're not like Philip, when we see something and we think, well, that's not much or how's that going to work and I'm not positive what's going to happen here but I, and we just leave it at that rather than wondering if God actually can do something more, wondering if God has something more in store for us, right? Sometimes we ask the question only from our intellect and we've not yet transpired what it means from the heart or even the gut to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus. And then Andrew speaks up, and Andrew feels a little bit closer to the heart and the gut, right? He said, oh, here's a boy who's got uh, some barley loaves and some fish, but what is that among so many people? So even Andrew, who, who takes us one step closer to a faith statement, who takes us one step closer to understanding what it means to believe in the power of God and to recognize what it is Jesus can do, he begins to falter as well. Oh, that, <laughs> that ain't enough. And then there's the boy. And don't you know that little boy didn't know what hit him? I mean, don't you know he thought to himself, well, you know, my mom made this lunch for me and I'm supposed to keep it for myself and I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And oh, by the way, wouldn't you imagine that if there were at least 5,000 men and several other women and children sitting around having come to the seashore to find Jesus, to hear his teachings, to recognize that they're going to be transformed by what it is he has to say and the powerful encounter that's going to transpire over the next several hours as we sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what it is he's going to do. Don't you imagine that there were a couple of other people who had lunch with them that day? That boy was not by himself. He was not the only one who had a bag that had some food in it. There there had to be hundreds of other people who brought something to eat. No matter how much, no matter how small, there had to be other people. But this boy offers what he has. I venture to guess that he literally probably opened his bag and thought, well, this ain't much. It's not really enough for me. But I'll give it. I'll share it. I'll offer it up. And he does. He does. And it begins to help us understand this powerful notion that no matter how small or how large the gift, every gift matters. Every gift. And so when he offers up his five barley loaves and his two fish, it is like saying, I haven't a clue. I don't know how this is going to work. It can't possibly feed anybody else other than me, but I'm going to give it. And oh, by the way, the barley loaves themselves indicate that he of himself and his household was of meager means. If they were wheat bread like you and I eat from now, he would have been a normal, everyday kind of kid from a middle-class family income, but he was a poor kid because barley was for the poor. And so not only is his gift small, but it has little significance for anybody, and yet, He offers it. And it begins to highlight, again, this powerful truth that every gift matters. Gifts of skill and talents, gifts of capacity and ability, gift of intellect and heart, gifts of desire and willing spirits. Every gift matters. You know, there's another parable in the gospel of Matthew that uh, t- teaches us this story. It's called the parable of the talents using monetary uh, uh, components that we tend to relate as talents, like ability. And in Matthew 25, it talks about how uh, one of the uh, persons was given five talents and another two talents and another one talent, right? And, and each according to their ability. And a part of that uh, parable simply highlights we all have different abilities, different capacities, different uh, ways to share, and yet each is appropriate, and the boy offers his all. Every gift matters. And so when he looks and he sees and he offers and he gives, he highlights this truth, our job, our role, Our responsibility is not to predetermine whether this is a worthy gift, whether this will offer value, whether this will make a difference. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility, like the little boy's responsibility, is to simply offer what we have and let Jesus do what Jesus does so well. Because Jesus takes and he blesses and then he offers. And it's in that moment that the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does so well. Magnifies, empowers, enlivens, gives life. Five barley loaves and two fish. And simply and solely because Jesus has the power to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't need to worry about what it is we give. We simply need to willingly offer. You know, the Apostle Paul said this so well. He, he wrote to the church at Corinth on a number of occasions, and at one point when uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he's trying to encourage them to uh, make a gift back to the mother church back in Jerusalem. And in writing to the Corinthian church, he says, hey, I want to point out to you the, the Macedonian Christians. He's, he's put, pitting one against the other. He says, of the Macedonian Christians, they, they literally begged us for the privilege to give to the mother church. They, they literally begged us for the opportunity, and they gave so generously. Paul would go on to say in in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that um, if the willingness is there, the gift itself is acceptable, not according to what one doesn't have, but according to what one does have. You see, God doesn't expect us to give of what we don't have. God doesn't expect us to make a gift of time or talent or treasure out of uh, something that's not there. God expects and desires for us to give out of what we already have and to, to give it willingly like the little boy. To say, I don't don't know what this can do. I'm not 100% positive. But what I do know is I'm willing and I'm able. And five loaves and two fish fed 5,000. Not just fed them, right? It said they had all that they wanted and when they were full. Because God can do miraculous things with seemingly insignificant gifts. That's what God does. Every ministry of this church started with some small voice, with some meager lunch that just said, I I don't know. I don't don't recognize how this will work, but I'm going to step up anyway. I'm going to make it possible anyway. And so there you see all of those ministries. At some point, somebody said, I want to make a difference, and I don't know how I can make a difference, but I will try to make a difference, and I'll give of myself, and I'll offer just something, and God's the one who makes something of it. It all starts with a small voice nudging us or encouraging us. We saw last week with those poster board testimonies the the powerful image of when somebody heard that word from God and felt that nudge from God and they stepped forward and their life was transformed or they were willing to receive God's work in their own lives or they were willing to receive from somebody's seemingly meager gift. And their lives were transformed. I don't know about for you, but I can remember how it began to start with me. In my family, we we didn't go to church a lot when I was a kid, but we went every once in a while. I was the fourth of four children, and therefore my parents were tired. It's hard to raise four kids. And therefore the rule around our house was, you know, if you get up in time, we'll go to church. If not, don't worry about it. And so that's kind of the household I grew up in when I was a child. But I do remember that when I went, I would go to Sunday school. And when I went to Sunday school, Mrs. Doty was one of the teachers. And Mrs. Doty was a saint. She was a meager woman. She was an elementary school teacher in the public schools. And she also had the gift of teaching the faith. And so she taught Sunday school. And Miss Doty, every once in a while, she didn't say it every week. And I'm sure she said this to other kids too. But what I heard from Miss Doty was this, Daniel, God's got his hand on you. And I didn't understand what that meant. I didn't know if that was, was I going to get slapped by God or was I going to, you know, was I going to call, I didn't understand what that meant. But I heard it and I digested it and I began to wonder, what does this mean and why is she saying this and how can I uh, put this to use? And, and that began the journey. It was a small voice from somebody And I know good and well, Miss Doty didn't have a clue whether that would land or not, whether it would be effective or not, whether it would make a difference or not, but she would say it often Daniel, God's got His hand on you. And it began to germinate, and it began to make a difference, and it began to touch in my life. And then as I got older, I I started to go into youth group, and it's in youth group in the sixth, seventh grade, I guess, that I met this lovely young woman right here. She was already in the church. And we were in a church, that wasn't huge, but we had a powerful and and wonderful uh, uh, youth ministry, a Methodist church in Farmers Branch. And and every single year in that youth group, all six years of our life in, in youth group, we got a new youth pastor. Every single year. You know why? Because we were near the seminary, and every single year the seminary offered internships, and the internship was with our new youth pastor. And so every single year we'd get a new intern, and we'd get a new youth pastor, and every single year they would come. And most of us would think to ourselves, golly, that that would decimate a youth program. It would would cause great harm every single year to get a new leader in the youth program. And, And you would be right except for this one truth. There were volunteers in the youth ministry program, volunteers who showed up every single Sunday, volunteers who didn't have all the answers, volunteers who didn't have a theological degree, volunteers who didn't know whether their bag had much in it at all. In fact, I'm sure every once in a while, maybe once a month, maybe every other week, I'm sure that when they looked in their little lunch pail, they wondered to themselves, there ain't anything in here this week. But they showed up anyway. Every single week for six years running. Frey and uh, Clay and Francis Atkins and Mike and Kathy Barney. Every single week they were there with us, week in and week out. And I guarantee you, their bag felt empty from time to time, and I guarantee you that they had no kind of highfalutin understanding of the faith of Jesus Christ, but what they knew and what they conveyed was God loves you and we love you. That's all it took, a small voice, a seemingly insignificant bag of tools, and a realization that God was real. I've had the privilege to bury Clay and Francis. I have the privilege of periodically talking with Mike and Kathy some 50 years later. What an amazing gift that is. What an impact those people had, not just on my life, Ks, and 40 or 50 other youth, maybe even 100 over the years, simply and solely because they were willing to say, I don't have much, but what I've got is yours, God. And it reminds us of the little boy who stood among hundreds of other people who had something to offer. And as he looked in his bag, he realized it wasn't much, but he offered it in full because it wasn't his role to determine how valuable it was, what kind of impact it might have, or what kind of influence he might offer. He simply, in faith, said, have mine." Isn't it funny that Jesus would say, let the children come to me, and we must become like little children in the faith. You see, it all starts with something that feels and seems so small. But when we offer it, when we share it, it makes a tremendous difference. I remember several years ago when we decided to build water wells in Ethiopia and we set a goal of $50,000 to to, uh, raise some money to go build those water wells and we shot it through the roof and we gave $85,000. And do you know that for the last six years in villages in Ethiopia, over 5,000 people for the very first time over the last six years have had fresh, clean drinking water? Because some of you gave $5 and some of you gave 5,000. You remember several years ago we uh, partnered with International Justice Mission to set women and children free who were slaves and human trafficking, and we gave well over $60,000, and you set free hundreds and hundreds of children and women who had previously been trafficked because some of you gave $10 and some of you gave $10,000. You remember two years ago we wanted to create a sanitation system in the small village of Chikuki in Mozambique with whom we've had a relationship for over 25 years. And some of you gave $15 and some of you gave $15,000 and now the trash is being picked up every day and disease is going away and water is clean because you started a sanitation system in a single village because everybody chose to say, I don't know how much, but I want to make a difference. And now when we're in our revival and we're seeing that we have an opportunity to project the future and cast God's vision into the next 40 years of ministry and to revive our ministries and to revive our campus and to relate more to the community, we have an opportunity to offer something. And some of us will think to ourselves, I don't have much I can't contribute much. My little meager piece won't be much. And we look in our bags and we think, Why? And what I want to tell you is every gift matters. Every gift matters. And so I want to encourage us as in the next seven days we will begin Revival Sunday, next Sunday, and for the seven days following that, we will encourage you to be praying about and discerning about how it is you can make a difference for the revival of this church how it is you can see what's in your bag and make a difference for the future. And I'm so grateful for those who've already, those 31 families who've already made their commitment are already into that uh, moving forward. And I'm already grateful in advance for those of you who know and understand that God is calling you to look in your lunch bag and to determine, what do I have? And I just want to suggest and encourage you to think, God, what do you want to do through me? Because whatever God is going to do through you is going to make a tremendous difference for the kingdom of God. No matter how seemingly small it may feel to you, no matter how hard it may feel for you, no matter what difference you think your gift can make, it will make a huge difference for the revival of this church. So I invite you to prayerfully consider what's in your lunch bag And what is it God can do through you? And together, the revival will become real. And through each of us individually, the corporate body of Christ will be enlivened and empowered for ministry. Thank you for looking in your lunch bag and for praying the prayer and for responding to the call. Because you will make the difference. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for your son Jesus, for the gift of everlasting life that he offers and for the ways in which he can take whatever meager portion we may have in our lives. If only we'll offer it to him. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, you can feed thousands. You can transform millions of hearts. And you can make a difference in the kingdom of God. So help us, Lord, like the little boy, to trust and believe with whatever we have that we can indeed make a difference in the kingdom of God. This is our prayer, Lord, and we lift it in the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.